Could the pattern of weddings in the Galilee area of Israel in the time of Jesus provide evidence that the rapture of the church is going to occur before the tribulation begins? For a fascinating insight into this question, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. My co-host Nathan Jones and I have a very special guest today with us, a Christian filmmaker by the name of Brent Miller, Jr. He has a, a company called Ingenuity, and they have produced some compelling documentaries about Bible prophecy, such as one called The Coming Convergence, another one, The Final Prophecies, and now a new one called Before the Wrath. Brent, welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Okay. Brent, so good yeah. to have you here, sir. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Brent's movie, Before the Wrath, narrated by Kevin Sorbo, is the reason why we've invited him to today. Let's first watch a clip so you can see exactly why Dr. Reagan and I are so excited about this amazing movie. A movie that claims a great discovery has been found that proves that Jesus Christ will return in a pre-tribulation rapture. As Galileans, we witnessed his first miracle. He warned us that a time of great deception would come. But we must hold on to our faith that one day he would return to save us from the end of the world. Most people don't believe that Jesus is coming back. What if there was evidence that proves that this is all real? Because there were so many people bringing up little bits and pieces of this. I'm thinking, there's got to be a pattern here. The Bible talks about it as being a mystery, but why does the rapture have to happen? What's the point to it all? A Galilean would have understood that perfectly. They are the key to everything. I'm just so stunned. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. This is the most profound discovery in human history. From his promise made through wine at the Last Supper, to why the world cannot know the day of his return, we were chosen to preserve the truth until the end of days. So even if we are not spared from death, others can unveil what we knew and believe. This discovery proves that he is coming back.
as you can see, pretty compelling. <laughs> well, Brent, one of the prophecy experts you interviewed, uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs, he stated this. He says, what does the rapture have to happen? Or why does the rapture have to happen? Excuse me. What's the point of it all? A Galilean would have understood that perfectly. In a movie, Middle Eastern anthropologist Jay McCarl, he claims to have found that whatever these Galileans understood is a discovery that proves that Jesus is coming back. Pastor J.D. Farag went so far as noting, this is the most profound discovery in human history. So what exactly has been discovered that provides indisputable proof that Jesus will return at the rapture and that the rapture will happen before the tribulation? Yeah, well, first, I think we need a little bit of context is that uh, we need to understand that, first of all, Jesus wasn't simply a Jew. He was a, a Galilean uh, to the northern part of Israel. Um, and even though they, they are all Jews within Israel, the Galileans had a few kind of subcultural things that, that they did that were different from the, from the religious epicenter around Jerusalem and many of the other Jews. I mean, we even see that here in the United States, different regions, you have different kind of cultural differences. And it was the same in the first century. Um, so, um, so understanding that, uh, we also look at how Jesus taught spiritual things to people so that, that they would understand whether they were Gentile or, or Jew, that, that a multitude of people could understand. And he did that through uh, utilizing parables, stories, examples of day-to-day -day living so people could connect. Um, and that being said, when he spoke to his Galilean disciples, they were all Galileans except for, for Judas, of course. Um, they were, he was speaking to them in the Galilean vernacular to their specific culture about his return at the end of days and events that would happen at the end of days that they could understand. Uh, so he was speaking to them on a cultural level that I think a lot of uh, scholars over the past even hundred years here uh, in, in the West ha have kind of mostly ignored. And a lot of these new biblical insights uh, we're, we're now gaining as, as uh, uh, scholars, theologians, and anth uh, Christian anthropologists are looking at writings from Josephus and first century culture, and they're connecting the culture with some of the parables that were taught biblically, not to present any, anything new, uh, like, like truly, like n not anything that, that wouldn't be uh, consistent with, with biblical scripture, but provides deeper insight into the depth of meaning of what Jesus okay, was teaching. Okay, now in that regard, your film focuses yeah. on the pattern of a Galilean wedding and mm -hmm. how that uh, interfaces with what uh, is taught about the rapture. So lead us through that. Um, right, and uh, I, I think a lot of people over the past several decades have heard about the correlation between a lot of Jewish wedding uh, practices and, and the return of Christ. Uh, but some of the new discoveries that, that uh, the scholars we're working with have found is specifically just the, the more depth of understanding the relation with some of the Galilean cultural elements. You know, and, and it kind of breathes new life into the entire topic in a way where it connects a lot more dots that were missing in the past. Um, and so... Like start with the betrothal period because the betrothal period is, is very different than Western betrothals, right? I mean, I could go to, when I was going to marry my wife, I went up to her, I asked her to marry me. I didn't go to her father. I probably should have, but right. it was different for in Galilee, right? Exactly. Um, I, I guess the uh, the first step, yeah, the, the betrothal, uh, what was absolutely fascinating 
because um, uh, here in the West, we have this idea that back in the first century, uh, that, that you know, the bride or the bride-to-be, that women didn't have a lot of authority or to say, you know, who they were going to marry, et cetera. And that couldn't be further from the truth, in so fact. weddings were arranged back then? Uh, they were mostly arranged, but the bride actually had the authority, the complete authority, to reject the groom. She could say no. In fact, she was the only person in the entire process, all the way up to, to accepting him uh, to be her groom, to actually say, no, I, I don't want this man. And it would be honored. So she held all the authority. And that was done uh, as the groom would offer her a cup of wine. Symbolically, this is what they did uh, to, to create a new covenant between the two. And if she ex received, accepted the cup of wine and took a sip and handed it back to the groom, then she is receiving and accepting the betrothal, the covenant between them. Um, and we found that absolutely fascinating because when we look at what Jesus did with his disciples at the Last Supper, what do we see? Him offering a yeah. cup of wine to his disciples, establishing a new covenant. And so, if you really just look at it, um, uh, he's speaking to his Galilean disciples who very clearly understood their own cultures and traditions. They would have immediately have made that connection, that, that type of covenant he's making. And when you say a covenant, then they were technically married even though they wouldn't consummate the marriage until a later time period. Exactly. And I think that's why even before the rapture and then later the, the second coming of Christ, we're referred to as the bride of Christ because you're technically married, but it's just, it's not finished yet. He hasn't come for us yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what about the preparations? Uh, what was involved in a Galilean wedding to prepare for eventually the consummation and the conclusion of the wedding? Yeah, I mean, this also follows exactly uh, what, what Jesus did in the first coming. The groom, after the betrothal, um, they, they wouldn't live together as husband and wife. Okay, the, 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 not at all. Not at all. Not but they at were all, considered married, right? Yeah, absolutely. They were, they were married. They were one. The uh, two became one. They had a union and a, and, and a covenant, but they, they didn't live together. In fact, the groom would immediately leave uh, for a, about a one-year period. A year? An entire <laughs> year. They wow. would have to stay apart. Well, they'd have to and, stay apart at least nine months. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, to prove that the bride is chaste. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Uh, and during this period, they weren't just staying apart. The groom was preparing a new home. Yeah. Um, I mean, he would build a, a room onto his father's house. Exactly, and and surprisingly, um, I mean, for, for many Americans, they find it surprising. They still do the exact same thing today in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, in, in actually many different uh, Arab and Persian cultures. Brent, that reminds me so much of John 14, 1 through 3, where Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will also come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And when I was watching your video and seeing how the the groom was building a, a room onto his father's house, that verse came right to mind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it, the parallels are just unprecedented. Okay, so the scripture. groom is building the room. What's the yeah. white bride doing during this time? Uh, the bride is preparing. She, she is occupying. She's preparing. She has to be ready for the day that the groom will come for her. She has to remain pure. And she does not know that day. And she does not know that the day. The groom doesn't know that day. No, not, not, not at all. The groom doesn't. See, this is what we found so shocking between the parallels. Some of the, just the little details that, that, that really 
really are just bringing this to life is that in a lot of uh, weddings in the Middle East during that day, even a lot of regular Jewish weddings in, in Jerusalem, they, they had a date. They knew when it, would going to, when it was going to be. In Galilee to the north, it was a surprise wedding. They genuinely did not know the, uh, yeah, the, the month, the day, the hour. They had no idea. So, um, and, and the groom didn't know. He just has to do, make all the preparations to build who on knows? the father's house. Yeah, who, who, and who then, oh, <laughs> who's the guy? Well, who? <laughs> the, the, the father of the groom. The father Literally, of the, groom. the only wow. person in the entire city or town or, or wherever they were in Galilee is the only one that would know when he would send his son to get his bride. Until then, they had to wait. That's amazing, because that then yeah. makes when Jesus was talking about the end times in Matthew 24, 36, and 44. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. So the father of the groom in the wedding was the only one who knew when he would send the groom out for the bride, just like God is the only one who knows when he's going to send Jesus to collect his bride. Right, and Jesus said the exact same thing. The only person, no one knows the day or the hour. Only the, so the bride had to be father. ready. Yeah, the bride had to be ready, not only ready, but as she knew, based on, you know, the, the things going on in town, you know, uh, you know, food is being prepared, you may not know, and this is what's also interesting, is that you may not know the day or the hour, but you kind of get a feeling of the season. Yeah. Well, the bride would have known, too. It's not, it, she may not know the day or the Room's hour, done. but you know, yeah, the, the building's done, she can see the signs, we're close, and what she would begin doing is often even sleeping in her wedding <laughs> wedding gown, because she literally wouldn't know when she had to be ready to jump up. Yeah, the bridesmaids had to be ready. They had to have oil in their lamps and, you know, their, their lamps lit, especially during the night. So, how does that relate to the rapture? Um, this was the part that gave us chills during our interviews and the production of this film is that, um, you know, it, it said that Jesus comes as, as a thief in the night. Um, but to the Galileans, even though it's an analogy uh, in, in, in a parable in many ways, uh, for the Galileans, they heard that literally. Uh, his disciples would have understood literally in the middle of the night, because this is one of the few things that separated the Galilean subculture that his disciples understood from, from the rest of the Jewish wedding culture, is that when the father of the groom sent his son to get his bride, it was often in the middle of the night. Wow. And for they, the surprise. You know, yeah. For a surprise. And, uh, you know, they, they did it so... The blowing just, of a shofar at that time? Exactly. And the reason why they blew the shofar was to wake the bride. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just it, parallel after parallel. What did, you, you said something in the video that, that was amazing, is that when the groom comes with this procession to get the bride, they put her on a litter and they carry her back to the house and it's called flying the bride to the father's house. And that's such beautiful imagery of Jesus Christ when he calls, he's got the shofar trumpet and he calls and he, in a litter, so to speak, the angels take us up into the clouds to meet Jesus in the air. And then we get to this wedding feast and this is the last part of the Galilean wedding. Can you tell us about the significance of the wedding feast? Um, well, well, the wedding feast is also shocking. But just to back up, if, if I can real quick, when sure, they lifted sure. the, um, the, the bride up in the air uh, on the litter, um, I, I mean, a lot of people say that, that Jesus didn't, didn't speak of the rapture uh, uh, when he was you know, talking to his disciples, that that came later through, through Paul when he reveals a mystery. You know, and, and of course, Paul, you know, reveals this through a mystery. But I think Jesus definitely alluded to the doctrine of the rapture, 
with his disciples simply because, again, they would have understood that parallel that when the groom comes for the bride, she is lifted up off the ground. And they, they may have not understood it at the time that right, Jesus right. was saying this to them as many things they, they didn't connect. So later when Paul revealed this, a, a mystery that he reveals that will be you know caught up in the air, I guarantee it, it clicked. And they said, well, this is like when we're lifted up off the ground as we do in our, our wedding customs and the bride is flown to the father's house. So they would have made this connection as well. But the feast is so fascinating because when we look at Revelation, it speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, another a wedding, wedding analogy. It, it, it's all over the place. And during uh, the feast, after the, the, the consummation and then you have the feast, um, many scholars believe that it would last for seven days and nights. And during this period, the door was shut, it was locked, and if you didn't make it into the wedding feast, you didn't get in, that door did not open. And anybody left out in the streets with you know, uh, tearing of clothes and gnashing of teeth just in distress. And because a wedding was the most amazing thing that could happen in that day. There was nothing more important, nothing that was, you know, that, that would have been such a, a blessing and an honor in your life to wow. attend. If you miss that, it was like missing a, a once in a lifetime experience that you would regret to the day you died. Well, we're going to end so. this segment with another clip that drives home how severe the situation is for those who were not ready for the wedding feast. Watch. There will be many that choose to be separated from him for all of eternity. Those that will be left behind. You not only had to be ready, you had to have enough oil, you had to get in. You had to get into that, that wedding. And then the door was shut. By the way, once the door was shut, it was shut. And in ancient Galilee, if you were locked out, there was no getting in. Welcome back to our discussion with filmmaker Brent Miller Jr. about the exciting discovery of how the Galilean wedding provides the key to understanding the rapture of the church. Brent, you spent a good amount of time in the movie addressing a very serious problem. I'm looking at a statistic here that, that Bible prophecy is being marginalized. 2% of 400 sermons that LifeWay surveyed only talk about Bible prophecy. So why are churches intentionally marginalizing 27% of the Bible? Well, that is a huge question, and this is a topic that, that is very, very personal to me. In fact, it's the reason why I got into filmmaking in the first place. Okay. Um, and I think the reason why we're seeing this trend of just overwhelming marginalization of prophecy is because of the, the sensationalists out there, the date setters. Um, and, and in this age of, of even over the last decade of social media and news where everything is reduced to, to 10 second sound bites, I think that, I mean, and it's getting worse. Now it's five second sound bites. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that the, the average American, in fact, the average person in the world, uh, when it comes to things like uh, biblical prophecy, they hear about the sensationalized headlines uh, of things that aren't really founded in, in biblical truth. So um, it gets their attention and it, it becomes an issue of crying wolf because a lot of these things that are claimed, they don't come 
come to pass. They don't happen. And then you have millions of people disappointed and saying, you know, oh, see, it's it's the same kind of, you know, hokey fringe stuff that you find in, in Nostradamus or anything else. And they throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it's become such a topic of contention uh, amongst Christians that, that are not founded in, in biblical literacy that pastors themselves, I, I believe for many different reasons, out of fear for, for creating tension in their congregations, for creating conflict, for, for being flagged as maybe a sensationalist, you know, they just decided to avoid the topic and they just simply don't discuss it. And so, and, and over the last 10 years, it's being t uh, essentially eliminated from seminary. So uh, most pastors themselves now are not even aware of re really the details of Bible prophecy. That's so. interesting. I, I was at a church once and the pastor was making a joke up on the stage. He says, oh, going to one of those Bible prophecy Star Trek conventions and the whole congregation's laughing. I'm like, they've turned the rapture into a butt of a joke. And I'm finding is as pastors try to connect with their people, some of them do it on the cool factor. You know, they're cool and trendy and wear the skinny jeans and all that. In Bible prophecy, that's so left behind. That's so uncool. Right. And so they're ignoring it just for the cool factor. And, and that's just tragic because, again, 27, I've seen as high as 31% of the Bible is Bible prophecy. God wants us to know how the story ends. And the story ends for the church at the rapture. Would you say that there's some other teachings that are starting to dominate, like say post-millennialism or something that's, or, or a symbolic interpretation of the Bible that's making the rapture disappear? Uh, yeah, teaching? and this is what we found most alarming. We worked directly with Lifeway Research in Nashville on some of this trending data in the church. And we found that the state of the church as a whole in the United States is far worse on so many levels than we could have possibly ever imagined. I mean, we know it's bad, but we didn't know it was this bad. Um, and in fact, just from a basic, uh, one example, from a basic rapture polling, uh, we found that only 36% of Christians believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, which means that's not the majority. We, we have this perception that, that pre-trib is the majority believe oh, no, in, in the church, all. not at all. Um, in fact, uh, it, it's uh, becoming more diverse in every year and pre-tribbers, the, the number's getting smaller and smaller every, way, every year. And even polling Christians and pastors, now 25%, one out of four, pastors included, do not believe in the rapture anymore. And these are Christian churches here in the West. Well, Brent, one of the things I really liked about your movie is that right in the middle of it, you make a transition from talking about the Galilean wedding and how it re references to the rapture. You make a transition into a in-depth discussion of the way in which Bible prophecy is ignored in the teaching and preaching programs of most uh, churches today. And I really appreciated that because that's one of my pet peeves in all the world is that, of course as a Bible prophecy teacher is the uh, way that Bible prophecy is both abused and ignored. And uh, certainly it is uh, ignored for many reasons I think primarily because preachers don't get any training in it in seminary and, they, and, and they're afraid to touch it. Mm -hmm. I get very upset when preachers tell me, well, Dave, you know, I'm not premillennial, postmillennial, millennial. I'm panmillennial. I just believe it's going to all pan out in the end. Right. And, and I have to bite my tongue because yeah. I want to say is that means you're too lazy to study the subject. Right. And that's 30% of, uh, of the Word of God. Now, let's get serious about this. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm, I'm so glad that you made this 
uh, this particular emphasis in your film. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's how uh, God drew me to Himself, was studying prophecy. And so this is a topic that I actually try to work into every film that we work on. Um, and of course, it's something that falls perfectly into the age of grace yes, dur dur yes. during the wedding, the wedding timeline, if you will, as the bride is occupying the wedding. always telling me that, well, you know, right. David, uh, Bible prophecy is pie in the sky. It doesn't relate mm -hmm. to the here and now. And, and I've got people in that congregation who's involved in adultery and, and uh, liquor and, you know, uh, alcoholics and drug addicts, and I've got to have something practical. Yeah. And my response to them is, if you can ever convince the people in your church of two things, really convince them. Number one, that Jesus really is coming back. The average Christian believes it here, but they don't believe it here. Right. Because it doesn't affect how they live. But if you can convince them, number one, Jesus is really coming back. And number two, that is an event that could occur any moment. Mm -hmm. It will motivate them to holiness and evangelism. What more could you ask for? Right. And, and I think we're seeing this decay within the church because, as you were saying, people, that they have a desire to believe. Oh, yeah. They think they believe, but you're right. It's not, there's not a sincere receiving of Christ. There's not a sincere following. And when you ask people why, especially amongst the younger generations, the number one reason is that there's no proof. This is why the idea of, of, of prophecy is so, so dear to me um, and why it's so detrimental that it's being marginalized in the church is because the reason why, no one asks why prophecy exists. Uh, and the pastors probably don't even understand why. Well, it's one of the greatest yeah. evidences the Bible is the Word of God. Exactly. That's why it's up to 30% of, of the Word. I mean, prophecy exists so that God can prove to us He's God. That's the point of it. And, and I also point out to these pastors that the very first gospel sermon ever preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost was nothing but Bible prophecy. Exactly. All he said was, the prophet said this, Jesus fulfilled it. The prophet said this, Jesus fulfilled it. Finally, the people cried out and said, what must we do? Right. The whole thing was Bible prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a fulfillment, right? The Bible said in the end times people would be the church of Laodicea. Uh, as we get this final segment, mm -hmm. could you tell us and end this with what is the message that you wanted to get out before that? What is the key message that you want us to be left with? Uh, well, the, the bottom line is as in a time where we see so much turmoil, so much volatility in the world, that we, we need to be focused on the return of the Lord. And that's a topic that's being marginalized more and more in every passing year. What, what I've said many times uh, on a lot of different interviews is that the, the reason why it's so detrimental to take prophecy out of the Bible is because you can't take prophecy out of the Bible without also removing the return of Christ. Absolutely. And that's exactly what's happening. Satan no one said. Right. No wonder why 25% of pastors no longer believe in the rapture. And we, the, the whole message, the whole point here is that we need to wake up to how detrimental this is for the, the health of the church and, and the spiritual readiness of the body of Christ. It's decaying the church in so many ways that pastors themselves don't even understand. So, one, understand how important prophecy is to the church, how that has to be brought back into the church and mm -hmm. taught properly. And, and two, to understand that we need to, to rely on the blessed hope in these last days. Thank you very much, Brent, for being our very special guest today. We appreciate you coming. Well, folks, in just a moment, uh, we're going to tell you how you can get a copy of this wonderful movie, Before the Wrath. That's our program for today. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope, too, the Lord willing, that you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Bible scholars may continue to debate the timing of the rapture, 
but why is such a mysterious event prophesied to happen in the first place? Is there a deeper understanding surrounding this occurrence that we've lost over the millennia that those living in the first century in Galilee clearly understood? Although many people today no longer believe that Jesus is coming back, ancient anthropological evidence from the time of Christ finally reveals unprecedented findings that prove the upcoming rapture would not only be a real event, but why it must soon come to pass. This shocking discovery will reignite hope for believers and prepare the world for what's coming. Ingenuity Films' docudrama, Before the Wrath, will captivate believers and non-believers alike, revealing new depths of theological understanding regarding what Jesus revealed to the ancient Galileans about the end of the world in ways that you could never have imagined. Before the Wrath is an 84-minute video narrated by God's Not Dead actor Kevin Sorbo. This stunning first-century drama is interwoven with gripping interviews featuring Jack Hibbs, Amir Surfati, Jan Markell, J.D. Farag, and many more. Order your DVD copy of Before the Wrath for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping, by calling the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 